This is Long Story Short from the Connecticut Mirror and WSHU Public Radio. I'm Ebong Udama. Is violence out of control in Connecticut's prisons? Can we attribute this increase in uh, assaults on prison staff and violence in general within prisons to a law that was passed that mandated an increase in out-of-cell time? That's Jaden Edison, the Connecticut Mirror's justice reporter. He's here to give us his behind-the-scenes look at the debate over assaults on staff at Connecticut's prisons. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hamilton, executive editor of the Connecticut Mirror. Many news organizations let you read a few articles for free each month, and after that, they make you pay a monthly subscription fee. Not CT Mirror. We don't believe in charging people to stay informed. We don't ask people to enter a credit card number to participate in democracy. If CT Mirror provides value to you, however, we do ask that you consider paying for it through a tax-deductible donation. Just click the red Donate button on the top right of any CT Mirror page. Hello, Jaden. You covered a special legislative session this fall where the unions representing correction officers were upset that lawmakers declined to take legislative action in response to assaults on prison staff. Is that why you decided to focus on this issue? And what did you find? Yeah, you know, I guess it wasn't so much, you know, the special legislative session as it was kind of seeing and reading a lot of the coverage as it pertains to an increase in assaults on prison staff. So I think the press conference that they held, you know, a day before the special legislative session earlier this year to address a vacant uh, Supreme Court seat. So it was completely unrelated to the staff assaults in prisons. But I think a lot of the union members, as you mentioned, were upset that it wasn't being taken up after they had already met with the governor and top legislators on this particular issue. And so for me, it was just more of, again, just kind of seeing a little bit of the narrative that was present as it pertains to assaults on prison staff. And I think a lot of the framing was around the question, can we attribute you know, this increase in uh, assaults on prison staff and violence in general within prisons to a law that was passed, among other things, that mandated you know, an increase and out of cell time. So for me, that was somewhat of a reporting question, but I think the, the next reporting question for me was, okay, how has the DOC, the Department of Correction, responded to this law, right, which was passed only a year ago? And so that's kind of how it started and unfolded from there. But it was certainly, I think the press conference was a part of this kind of larger thread that I was seeing as it pertains to the narrative about assaults on staff and, and prisons. Now, could you talk a little bit more about the PROTECT Act? This is the law that was passed a couple of years ago that really went into effect earlier on this year that would allow more outside of cell time for prisoners. Absolutely. You know, I think you have to understand, and this was another thing, you know, in my reporting journey is why was the PROTECT Act necessary, right, when it was passed? I think that's one of the important questions that I had going into it. And you go back and look and you look at testimony from a United Nations representative years ago, the, the individual testified that Connecticut's use of solitary confinement could have amounted to torture, right? You look at various court rules. You know, I covered a, a trial, you know, late last year as it pertains to Richard Reynolds, who was on a, previously on death row until obviously it was abolished, but where a jury found that the DOC had violated his uh, Eighth Amendment rights, obviously, which prohibit, you know, cruel and unusual punishment. And then you look at, again, a string of things of why was Northern Correctional, the state's sole supermax facility closed? You had the Yale Law Clinic, who had done a lot, done a lot of research in terms of speaking with incarcerated people who talked about kind of the inhumane and, and cruel and unusual practices that have been present there. And so all those reasons bring us to the PROTECT Act, which from the day it was introduced, and this is, you know, kind of what I gathered from my reporting, is that, you know, it ran into swift opposition 
opposition, you know, to the union who, who didn't want lawmakers and, and community advocates trying to make laws about prisons because their feeling was, you don't know how it works. This is what we do. And so we know what's feasible and what's not. And so the Protect Act had three major components, right? One that mandated out of cell time, more out of cell time. So now as of April, 2023, it mandates five hours of out of cell time for people. And this is in contrast to people who testified about being in their cells 23 hours a day, right? Being subject to strip searches as they left their cells or during visitation hours, not being able to physically have contact with their families, all these things. So the five hours of out of cell time, it also obviously limited the use of, of solitary confinement, right? And, and when the DOC can deploy and how long they can deploy. And then also Establish independent oversight of the DOC, which will come soon through the hiring of the correctional ombuds person. So you have these three kind of major components. And again, you go back to, you talk to a lot of the advocates, the aforementioned reasons that I you know, pointed out in terms of human rights violations, right? The, the testimony from incarcerated people, you know, federal judges ruling that these acts have been cruel and unusual. That was all in the backdrop of why the PROTECT Act was necessary, particularly in the eyes of people who are incarcerated and a lot of the advocates and academics who work on the law. Now, but the union reps were pushing back on this, saying that it actually, having more time out of cells had led to an increase in assaults on prison staff. What did your research into the story find? One of the things that, that was already apparent to me is that, you know, this law goes into full effect, or at least most of the law, excuse me, in July 2022, right? But the full increase not of cell time is not into effect until earlier this year. And so for me, I, you know, one of the questions I had was, okay, this is a pretty short timeline for this to have this big of an effect, you know, in this time. And so that's when I went to the DOC. Okay, last five fiscal years, right? Because that's the data they've all been representing. Can I, can I get the raw numbers of, of kind of what it is? And because oftentimes you see kind of officials allude to percentage increases, which in time, certain times can be misleading because, of, you know, you can go from 100 to, you know, 150, that's a 50% increase. But when you talk about the raw numbers, it may not jump out to you as it would percentage-wise, right? And so that was kind of the thinking. And what I found was that although 2023 and fiscal year 2023, right, there were the DOC documented the highest number of staff assaults that it had over the last five fiscal years, what you saw was that the significant increase, perhaps the most significant year-to-year -year increase happened as we came out of the brunt of the COVID-19 pandemic from 2020 to 2021, which we know the pandemic was notoriously a time of great difficulty for Connecticut's prisons and prisons across the country, right, as it pertains to mental health, as it pertains to sickness and death, so on and so forth. And so there, that was one part. But then you talk to a Scott Simple, you know, former DOC commissioner, try to get some institutional knowledge on some of these things, right? And you find, and as he put, there's an ebb and flow to the numbers, right? And for me, I'm like, okay, one thing I've been hearing from incarcerated people is, okay, how people have been telling me, you know, this is a serious mental health issue, right? We have people who have severe mental health needs who are involved in these particular incidents that are happening, but no one's talking about it. So I asked the DOC, what, what numbers do you have on this? And you find that almost 70% of the people involved in the assault, I believe since 2021, had some form of either mild, moderate, or serious mental health issues, as the DOC would put it. And so again, once you have those, you realize that the numbers, there's much more than just raw numbers. This tells you that there's a significant need perhaps not being met within the DOC. And again, the PROTECT Act, the intention was always that we would increase out of cell time, we would do these things, but it was only a first step, but we would also create an environment that's more humane for everyone. We have more programming, you know, more activities for people to do. So they're not just sitting around playing cards or hanging around with this increase. And so those are all the things I think that are at play with this particular uh, subject matter. Well, also the prison union officials, they push back on the fact that they said they don't have facilities to accommodate keeping prisoners out of their cells for extra hours. 
because they've closed so many facilities in Connecticut, so they have fewer facilities. So they're, they're kind of frustrated that the resources are not there to make it possible. What did you find when you looked into that? Well, I think the one thing you have to realize with the prison closures is because Connecticut's prison population has declined so significantly over the last several years, right? I mean, you look at the closure of, I think in the last, what, three years you had, and I may be leaving some out, but I know off the top of my head, Northern, right? You have um, the Willard facility that closed more recently as well. And so you've had, what, two to three, what, prison closures in the last, since 2021 alone, or something along those lines, in part attributed to, you know, the declining prison population that we've seen over the last decade or so. So that was a part of it. But I think when you talk to incarcerated people, one of the things that was super fascinating to me is I spoke with people primarily who have been serving long sentences, right? People who have been incarcerated, so a little bit on the older side, right, who perhaps have more institutional kind of perspective and knowledge of how things work particularly house that Cheshire, and you find that there is almost a desire for more activities, right? These are not people who perhaps are happy with, oh, I like just being out of the cell and not doing anything. I mean, you know, one thing I just found so fascinating was this desire to, to continue to grow as advocates through pensmanship. Well, I remember one guy told me through a letter, he's like, you know, we don't, it's, he said, we don't even use violence in our particular unit because we advocate for ourselves through writing. He was like, so we have an issue, you know, we'll write it out. And that's how we make our voice kind of heard. And so you know, I think there is also the belief among incarcerated people that some of these, you know, arguments made by union officials is a bit semantic. There's the, there's the belief that the union wasn't already happy with the PROTECT Act. And so anytime you can put this narrative out here as it pertains to an increase in assaults, again, narrative drives policy oftentimes. And the people who we very seldom hear from are people who are incarcerated. You reached out to them and you exactly. corresponded with quite a few incarcerated people for this story. Yes, yes, particularly child uh, housed, excuse me, in uh, Cheshire's Honor Unit, right, which is a um, unique... The true unit, right? Well, no, this is, true unit is a little bit because that's an initiative that, that tries to look at incarceration a bit differently. Right. The true unit is one unit in Cheshire, right? But the particular unit, I, the people I spoke with were in a unit called the Honor Unit, which the Honor Union, I guess you could think of as similarly where it was created to provide expanded educational opportunities. And these are all particular people who have been incarcerated for a long time. You know, they have like a PDF, a lot of the incarcerated people actually played a significant role in creating the structure of what the programming was supposed to look like. You know, I saw creative writing, you know, all, some different activities that I had never heard of before related to like film and arts and things of that nature. But again, the irony in that is that the folks who we spoke with and also one of the Cheshire Correction Officers also, you know, told me this on the record as well, was that the honor unit has merely existed in name only thus far, right? And even that hasn't lived up to what it was supposed to be in terms of, you know, providing the expanded program. So talk to a Barbara Fair, right, who was the leading organizer for Stop Solitary Connecticut, who was pivotal in, in getting this law passed. She would describe this as a recipe for disaster. You increase out of cell time, you do all these things that are meant to make prison more humane, but you're not fostering an environment that allows incarcerated people to use that time effectively. So, Jaden, where do we go from here? What do you see as, as far as policy is concerned? What are lawmakers saying anything about doing anything in the near future? Yeah, so I think the more immediate thing is, you know, when you talk about the third component, as I refer to it, of the PROTECT Act was establishing an independent oversight of the Department of Correction. And the expectation is that within the next few weeks, maybe the next week or so, is that the, the committee responsible for helping appoint that person will hold a public hearing for three finalists. So that will be getting us closer to this point where Connecticut has kind of established independent oversight because, again, I think there's frustration that perhaps we're relying on narratives from, you know, uh, correction officers or we're relying on narratives from people who are incarcerated or relying on narratives from academics. You don't have that kind of independent authority who can go in there and kind of sort through what's what and what's not. 
So I think that's the most immediate step that, that we can expect in the state. But as far as the legislature, you know, it remains to be seen. You know, I covered last year. And one thing I learned right away, again, narrative drives policy. And so I'd be shocked if it wasn't a talking point, at least come February when the legislature convenes. But as far as how lawmakers go about it remains to be seen. You know, I know Senator Gary Winfield, who is the co-chair of the Judiciary Committee and uh, helps oversee the correctional budget for the Appropriations Committee. He's not necessarily sold on the increasing staff for correctional staff for the sake of doing it, right? It's like, if we're going to take action, we need concrete evidence that there's a problem and this is how we fix it. And it needs to be something that, again, lives up to what the spirit of the PROTECT Act was supposed to be, which was to establish a more humane environment for people who are incarcerated. And the correctional staff as well, make sure it's a safe and humane environment for everybody who lives and walks and works within the prisons. Jaden Addison is the Connecticut Mirror's justice reporter. Thank you so much, Jaden. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Long Story Short is hosted by me, Ebon Udana, and produced by Molly Ingram. Harriet Jones is our editor. WSHU's Alicia Dodario and the Connecticut Mirror's Gabby D. Benedictus are our digital team. This podcast is a collaboration between the Connecticut Mirror and WSHU Public Radio. We go behind the scenes at the home of public policy journalism in Connecticut. More can be found online at ctmirror.org and wshu.org. Our episodes can be found wherever you get your podcasts.